여기 음폭파이는 흔적 같은 게 있다는데 음찍? 귀신 잡냐? 귀신 잡아? 토니, let's go. All right, get get saddled up. Let's not, move it. Not just one night, eight crazy nights, as Adam Sandler once said. I was expecting a totally different move. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rated Pete for Paranormal. I'm Maddie Blake. That's Anthony Arkin. I'm in Rhode Island. He's in Brooklyn. We rate and review paranormal film and television. A uh, big show tonight. We're gonna do this new film, eight, the Eighth Night. From Netflix, we both watched it on Netflix. It's available probably other places too, streaming. But um, we we saw it on Netflix, and um, we're going to get into that. Also, our top three list will end with we have some breaking news and kind of the paranormal world, and then a film we're both really excited for next week. We definitely want you guys to get involved. Watch this. It's actually going to be a documentary. We'll talk about it at the end of the show. But um, we're both really excited for next week's uh, film that we're going to do because it's been a while oh, yeah. since we did a good old fashioned. A documentary, but uh, first things first, Tony. How are you? Everything okay? Yeah, everything's good. I know how are you. Everything I'm, good with I'm, you? I'm fine. Yeah, I was excited by some. It's kind of like paranormal-ish news in a way. Um, definitely film paranormal news because uh, this this piece came out, I believe, yesterday, um, and you and I reviewed the thing, John Carpenter's 1982 masterpiece, The Thing, of course which we both passed with flying colors. We got a P for Paranormal. It's an all-timer. We put it in the P for Paranormal Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and you can go back and listen to that episode, by the way. But John Carpenter in the news, and John Carpenter says he might be interested in making a follow-up, a continuation to the 1982 movie. Tony, you must have almost uh, passed out when you saw this story. I did, but I got to take it with a grain of salt. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to think. I, I get his willingness to do it is great because for I think of for a long time he was just kind of being a curmudgeon and wanted to make his music and not you know right. deal with Hollywood so much right they didn't treat him very well I don't think and um you know his last several movies haven't really been the his best work but man you know if he had the budget and some backing and I mean the problem is the continuation would not be with the same cast. <laughs> so you're starting from scratch anyway. But uh, look, anything he makes, I'll go see. Well, here's here's the quote. Here's the exact quote. He was asked by, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, um, of all your classic movies, what would you most like to see a follow-up to? He said, I would like to do a sequel to The Thing or a continuation, something like that. But I don't know. See? There are a lot of things in this world I don't know, end quote. Now, that seems like just him kind of saying in general terms like, oh, yeah, you know, if I was going to do a movie, I'd redo the, I'd, I'd do a continuation of the thing. Not redo, but continuation of the thing. And um, what's interesting, though, is that the idea of a new thing movie uh, had been talked about before, and there was rumors about this happening like two years ago. Uh, so... I don't know. It, sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire in these things. You know what I mean? And if there's any movie, it's so funny. On my morning radio show, I have a segment we do on Tuesdays. Excuse me. I have a segment we do on Wednesdays called the Maddie Minute, where I'm allowed 60 seconds and my co-host literally times me. Mm -hmm. It feels it's a little longer, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> she always That's cuts the, me off. The magic part of it. <laughs> uh, it's stuff I'm bugging her or her about off the air, basically. And she goes, oh, just I'll give you one minute to talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> so <laughs> this morning it was... Um, I did a one minute rant about why are we bringing back old things continuously? Like there's so many great ideas, so many great screenwriters, so much possible original content. Uh, by the way, one of which I have sitting in my laptop. So, you know what I mean? Like there's so many good movies that could be made. Um, mm -hmm. And we, we trudge out an old movie. And, and the example I use is they're making Indiana Jones five right now. Harrison Ford is 79 years old wearing the leather jacket and a leather hat. And I know this is sacrilege. Are they still it's, shooting this? Weren't they yes, shooting this two years ago? Dude, it, yes, two Did years. Did rotator or something? A guy died. Like a guy on the working on the movie, a crew member has died. And another guy had a heart attack the other day. And Harrison oh Ford, like, this movie is cursed. And, and you know, I, I you know, tongue in cheek, I understand accidents happen in, in productions, but it's like, it's just endemic to me. Like, why are we... What, as you once said so famously, why has everyone tried to explain Mike Myers to me so many times? You know, like <laughs> how many more iterations of Indy do we, I, I'll, I'll just go watch the first two or three and I'll be totally psyched. So that being said, unless your streaming services yanked it or lost the licensing for it, you can do that. There you go. Uh, but, you know, I did that one minute rant about got to bring new stuff. And literally she handed me this story. I'm like, <laughs> Ooh, they're going to make another thing. She's like, Oh my God. You had no problem with how many Rocky movies. That wasn't oh, the issue for you then. Bring it. Yeah, so I guess I have to amend my, uh, I guess it depends on what we're remaking. Well, I think there's there's two ways to look at it. I mean, this I agree with you in principle. You know, I, I really think that they're relying on what they think are tried and true things that they're sure to make a buck. And I can hardly blame them like in this at this time. I was really angry about it a few years ago. When everything was, you know, relative, not, you know, I mean, relatively okay in the in the movie industry, right? And they were still making movies, and we could go to them and everything, right? Then I was like, come on, do something new, take a risk. Now I get it because they're just they don't nobody knows what's going to happen, right? But I'm I'm tired of it too. I'm also there's also the idea that like there really isn't anything that new. I mean, you know, it's all rehash stories. This is all like there's like three stories. And everybody's putting their spin on it, but just relying on, you know, how many eyeballs were on a certain cartoon or a certain moment and then putting all of our money on that franchise just makes me crazy. Yeah. And half of it is I just have to fill a break in the morning. So I'm just looking to rant about it. Well, you were, <laughs> I like what you were saying is that we're very, um, you know, we like what we like. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're making, remaking the thing movie, that's great for you. I will say this. Of all the movies, he's right. You know, that movie ends, as I said, so ambiguously, like who lives, who's the thing, who's who, you know, what happens to those two characters. So I don't know that you couldn't use the same cast. Obviously, some have passed away. Well, um, you could use either Kurt Russell or his friend, but you can't use. I mean, one of them's dead. Well, yeah, right. Or both. Well, well, let's see what the writers can come up with if they do it. But I, I just... You know, I, I'm excited that it's John, it would be John Carpenter, not like Rob Zombie redoing the thing. This oh my a, god! You know what I mean? This... Oh, you just—that's an—that's you just said something so <laughs> un, unearthly. That I was know. like well.
Lovecraftian. That's, that's when I do get mad when it's like that. It's like we're gonna redo the thing with Rob Zombie. Like, no, no. If John Carpenter wants to do a continuation to the story that he always envisioned, where those who was the bad guy, who was the thing, and we're gonna see the ramifications thirty years later, I am all in on that all day yeah. long. Yeah. Um that uh speaking of which there's a new um uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie on I guess Netflix, I shouldn't say because I don't really know, but it's on one of the streaming services. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't no either. No one told me about. I didn't know. I was yeah. like, "Is this? A, is this Rob's?" Amelia told me. I was like, "How is it that you are telling me about Texas Chainsaw Massacre now? <laughs> How old did I get? What's happening?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about it. I saw a screen grab of it the other day. I'm like, "What is this? A new? Yeah, it's so a I new know. one." Yeah. All right. I, I think we should probably check that out. Um, although that's not the movie we're going to do next week. Um, Nor is it paranormal. No, that's a good point. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, unless, well, unless they did something with... Uh, oh, well, maybe. God forbid. Um, speaking of, you know, we, we can't do one story about a classic paranormal uh, filmmaker and not mention another one who we lost, kind of the, the flip I side. Was gonna, I was going to bring that up because we also yeah. just, you know, <clears throat> enjoyed Ghostbusters so much. Yeah. I mean, both of them, we really had a great conversation about, about mm-hmm. that whole thing. I'm assuming you were going to say Ivan Raymond. No, I was talking about the uh, third AD of Commando. <laughs> that was a sad That was a sad loss as well. Um, yes. <laughs> of course. Uh, Ivan Reitman, uh, Ghostbusters, died peacefully at his home in California at age 75, which... Um, way too young, my God. Way too young. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. Really, I, I was one of those people I wish I had had a chance to meet, you know? Yeah. Um, or just watch work, kind of. I'd love to see how... he has set, the, the films had such a light uh, quality to them, you know? They were so bubbly. I'd love to see how he got that yes. effect, you know? He was quoted as saying that uh, they asked him why the heck he put Schwarzenegger in a comedy. He was the first one to put Schwarzenegger in a comedy role, and he goes off about how, how uh, he thought Arnold was so talented, so I didn't want to... I didn't want to bring that up because uh, I didn't want you to speak ill of the dead, but I just thought I'd mention that. So he's got your back. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's surprise, surprise. He's 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 saying nice things about somebody who starred in his movie and made him $800 billion. I'd say that guy was a good actor, too. Remind me not to have you say my eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at some stuff. I can bring some stuff. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Ivan Reitman, for all the hours of entertainment and... Um, John Carpenter, please make another thing. We want it. There was also, Tony, a trailer to a film um, that I just wanted to mention, too. Since we're talking about paranormal movies now and filmmakers, both older examples we've just talked about in the news, but there's a new paranormal filmmaker in the news, and we just saw the trailer for Nope by Jordan Peele, which is coming out in July. And that trailer, nobody can be absolutely sure because it's just a, you know, one and a half minute trailer or two minute trailer, but it looks like it's going to be very much about some kind of alien invasion or UFOs, perhaps. The trailer looks just fantastic. I I can't wait. I I liked what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. go to that with you yeah. this summer. 
we're gonna do that. We I texted Tony the trailer and I go, let's make a point to like meet if we have to meet halfway in Connecticut yeah. or something, or I'll come yeah. to Brooklyn, you come to Rhode Island, whatever. But let's go see that together. So we're gonna do that. It's got like a, a Skinwalker Ranch yes. vibe to it. Like yes. that's what I, my guess is kind of where it's headed. But there's a fan theory that's floating around that Nope is actually an acronym, and they believe that it might be an acronym for Not of Planet Earth. That is a great. <laughs> oh, I'm 12 years old. I'm <laughs> so happy right now. That's the, me too. That's the I'm type. So of, I'm, I'm really excited about him as a filmmaker. Like, I know you know we split on one of his films a little bit and and that not everything's been like totally even or whatever but like i just know i've sat in the theater twice in two of his movies and halfway through that been on the edge of my seat literally going like what am i watching right now and i just love that because not what am i watching in a bad way but like what am i watching like what world has he created what is going on and um i just find filmmakers like that really really exciting i think he's awesome well i've I, he's he is incredible and i was thinking about how he really reminds me. I don't know why it didn't occur to me before, but he reminds me of one of your favorite filmmakers. Uh, he, he, because of his career, because of the trajectory of his movies so far. Because now he's got three features and Twilight Zone, and then I think some other producing under his belt at this point. And it's a lot like Shyamalan's um, trajectory. Yes. Sixth Sense, unbelievable, yes. like, breakout international hit phenomenon. Second one, smaller, more divided than Signs, right? Yeah, Go, wow. It looks like he's going the same direction in terms of... Great comparison. ...career path. I, I mean, I wonder if that's uh, if that's been thought out at all by him. Look, not that he needs it. He's He's an incredible talent. He's also a great writer, which I think is what... It's just like the final great word about what he can do. He's learning to be a better and better filmmaker, I think, as he goes, probably, you know? Yes. He's, he's, yes. He's absorbing all the stuff that he's doing, you know? Yes. But um, he's always been such a great writer, so and I know I'm sure the he, ideas are great. I know what's important for you, too. He clearly respects the genre of, like, horror and the whole clearly. paranormal thing. Yeah, he just... Yeah, he's not ironic about it. He genuinely no. loves it. Yeah. yeah, it's like every movie, there's like little love stories and love notes to the whole genre. And also at the same time, like breaking it, like breaking the rules. He breaks the rules all the time in a, in a way, you know? Just but in, shift, shifts them around, shifts your shifts perspective around. on stuff. And, yeah. And, and um, without, you know, in do, and doing it in, my, in, in a way that I as an audience always appreciate. Because he tackles yeah. big issues. He tackles social things, but he never does it Face, like like right in your face he's always using these uh ideas very artfully in his movies mm. and they, i think they have a lot more impact because you're you're not expecting to be so you know shook up about the information you're getting in it you know let's just pray that uh he never makes a movie as bad as old like m night Shyamalan. In i don't i haven't seen it yet i i thought this was supposed to be kind of like his uh is a serious movie comeback. No? No, right. no director th thrills me and angers me more than M. Night. I don't, I, uh, whatever. Um, yeah. I, I still believe in him, but boy, that is... Uh, All right. Well, Yikes. I still have to check it out. You know, it was a better movie than old was his... Uh, the the when they go to the grandparents' house, that found footage film he did. That, that was a fun movie. It was. I was like, all right, now he's, all right, here he comes, yeah. here he comes. They made old, and I was like, oh. Well, then he he did um, uh, that one 
where it tied into Mr. Glass's story, right? To Unbreakable. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was a follow-up. What was that called? Uh, combined. Multiple? Or yeah, something. not bad. I, I like that, too. Way better than old. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's 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 a little uneven, but uh, I'll always love him because he made signs and six cents. What, Look, what, he made the following. So <laughs> He gave us old black water. Old black water. Keep on, I mean, keep on rolling, The gift that moon, keeps giving keep and giving. Old black water. Keep on rolling, Mississippi Forever moon. Keep ever on ever. shining on me. All right, let's get to our film tonight and then our top three. What is our top three tonight, Tony, by the way, that we're going to end the show with? Our top three is going to be uh, top three creepy smiles <laughs> in uh, movies. Yes, top three creepy smiles in movie history. Uh, gather your list as we review The Eighth Night, which inspired this list because, man, is there a creepy smile or two in this film. Here we go. <laughs> Prayer beads in one hand and an axe in the other. A monk huts down a millennia-old spirit that's possessing humans and unleashing hell on earth. 2021 gives us the eighth night. We didn't know anything about this film. It was streaming on Netflix. It seemed, you know, it was kind of on the new end. We hadn't really done a Korean film um, before, so this seemed perfect. It definitely dealt in the paranormal, so it hit all the boxes, but was eight nights, one night too many for Tony Argon. I was sad that this was the first South Korean movie that we, we picked. I have to say, I was disappointed that this was the this was the first one. There are better ones we could have picked. I hear you, I, and I would agree with that. That there's definitely better ones we could pick. And in fact, a lot of the skill in this film, a lot of the artful shots, and the things that kind of really I loved about it. And there were a lot of things I loved about this movie. Believe it or not, um, they were reminiscent of other South Korean films that you have pointed out to me that we've watched uh so yeah i had the same thought i'm like boy there's a lot here that that seems to be running in the water in south korea of the, their ability to make film and and do it artfully well i guess uh i mean they have a huge film community there it's, it's a giant you know industry um i don't know if they have government subsidies for the arts or filmmakers but there seem to be a lot of people coming out of south korea with with good work Stuff that even even stuff. Now this is a, I'm assuming a, um, a, a kind of a low end film. I don't think they spend a lot of money on it, but it you can't really tell. It looks oh. it looks good, you know. If there are certain scenes where you can kind of like look clearly and and you can see ah oh, they they're working with a camera that's not that great. They're doing a lot of like color processing at the end to fix stuff. Mm. But uh, overall, you wouldn't really know that this is kind of like kind of an amateurish thing in a way because it has a gloss to it you know yeah and i don't mean that i mean that sounds so rude i don't mean amateur i mean like i just mean kind of empty-headed by by the middle of it i thought all of it was in the concept all the excitement uh that i got out of it was in the was in thinking about oh this is a great idea and the first 20 minutes unfolding pretty well and then it went into like I just got confused. I th actually, I was pretty confused, but 
but it, but the story isn't confusing. So I knew there was just something up with the filmmaking that was just not yes. working. I don't know. Yeah. Did you I, get confused? I did. And and so halfway through, I'm going like, okay, when I'm confused by a movie, it's either because I'm being challenged, A, it's like a sender and everything's there, but you got to pay attention. This is not a movie for you can you can watch and scroll your phone type of thing. You know, this is a, this is a challenging movie in, a, in all the right ways. Or B, I'm not paying enough attention and it's on me because I'm not that bright. I have to really focus on movies like this. Or C, and I, I halfway through, I thought it was B. I thought it was me not paying enough attention. And I'm like, no, it's not really that complex. And in fact, <laughs> and in fact, one of my major critiques is they tell you the mythology like seven times. For 20 minutes almost. Yes. It goes on. Like it goes on and they use, they use artwork, which is beautiful to help tell the story like kind of this Korean imagery of these ancient um, warrior monks and things like that, like cool artwork. I'm like, okay, that's the setup. And then they do it again. And then another character says, well, the red eye has to meet the black eye. And then another character says the red eye has to meet the black eye. And then they, so there's a lot of over-explaining, a lot of mm -hmm. kind of like lack of trust. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there's some expository dialogue too, that goes on, you know, where one character says the other, um, well, look, you saved me that time I tried to commit suicide, so I love you. And it's like, we knew that I, already. I got that already. Now, granted, when you're dealing with a translation and you're and you're, you know, you you're you're dealing with whoever's making the subtitles, basically. That's not always the screenwriter. It's never the screenwriter. And sometimes those translations don't really work. Like you can't really make an easy translation to English from something that's said in another language all the time. Or you've got to make a you just got to make a snap decision that they're kind of saying, kind of saying that. Right. So I give it a pass on some of those things because you don't really know for a fact. Yeah. But that's at the same said. time, I've seen, I've seen a lot of films from South Korea and I don't have that confusion. You can tell when a movie is like, is just like a puzzle that you will figure out. Right. And you can be a little confused, but you know that it'll have a, some kind of emotional conclusion by the end of it or, yeah. or whatever. I, I, this one was just like, I was like, where are they going? Yeah. Why, wait, who's that? Wait, who is that the same yes. monk yeah. that they were taught that they meant yes. when they were, you know, I just, it was just, the, I just got lost in like, in, in totally. not interesting things and just like, well, I don't know why they're on a bus now. Yeah. Where, you know, like things like yes. that. Yes, yes, yes. And what is this? Why so many notes? There's a lot of notes yeah. being passed. And I, I go, you know, for, for again, for a film that has explained it to me seven times, how could I be even remotely confused? It just, so, yes. Yeah, it just wasn't very effective in terms of laying out the paranormal elements and the mythology. What I did love, though, it's funny, a lot of movies have really weak paranormal stuff and really weak paranormal effects and really weak paranormal mythology. And then um, we enjoy the kind of more character work. And then there's vice versa. We've had movies where we, the character work sucked, but boy, were we scared by those scenes. This movie for me was um, kind of the former in terms of like, I enjoyed the character work between like uh, Lee Sung Min who plays Park Jin Soo. He's kind of like the lead monk, the broken down monk. Um, he is friggin' awesome with this young son character that he is going around with. And there are scenes of them like, he's kind of the young, I think his name is Kim Dong Young. He, the character is Dong Jin. Dong the, Jin young, is, um, the young monk in training. Yes, the young yeah. monk in training was in a, a vow of silence. He's following this elder monk, our kind of lead protagonist around who's tasked with killing this this entity 
And there's wonderful scenes of them like eating together and he buys them shoes and there's a lot of unspoken character moments. And um, those moments I found really great and I wanted kind of more of that. And I found myself getting distracted or um, I was kind of disappointed when the paranormal stuff started to kick in, you know, after watching yeah. them. There's a scene where he's writing notes to this monk character because he can't talk at a dinner and he's just showing him the notes and it's just shot. It's like a one shot and they're sharing this meal together and you can tell the kid hasn't eaten anything uh, really good and he's starving, but the food he gives him has stuff that he's not allowed to eat as the young monk. And it's there's got just, meat in it. Yeah. It's got meat. Right. And, and um, there's just kind of like some silent looks they give, he gives them. And then, so the old monk takes it out and he gives them the thank you. And it just like, Oh, more of, more of that. I, I would have loved. I totally agree. As a matter of fact, I have in, I have in the notes the same phrases you were just using. Like you said something that was exactly out of my notes. Yes. Yeah, it's like a character study at its best, and it's really what it should have been. You know, I yes. think that the 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 I mean, not that the supernatural stuff got in the way of that, but the action the action parts of it, because this is one of those horror movies supernatural movies that really ends up relying heavily on you know action horror by the last third of it you know not um not brilliantly done and then not my favorite way to handle this so i i kind of lost interest and i felt like the actors were there to do it you know the guy playing the the lead kind of badass quiet monk the monk with no name you know yeah he was really good he's really good I just feel there was something kind of, um, I don't know, just like, let's do another pass on the script. It was not just derivative or tropey, but but like, oh, really? Come on. Like another guy that lost a child 20 years ago and he can't, he's just a, you know, burnt out guy. But then he, he resurfaces to do this one last job. I mean, it, 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 it's a lot of tropes and a lot of stuff you've seen in a thousand movies. And when you have actors that are really interesting and human, and you don't give them enough time to completely create these characters, it get it got a little frustrating for me. And and that scene is, I think, literally the best scene in the movie. It's a great scene. I, I think that scene should be airlifted and, and put into another movie about just yes, two, yes. these two well, characters. I, I would say anytime they're alone and there's no special effects and they're dealing with each other is excellent. Like Because there's another scene later where he's begging to stay with the monk with no name. I love that. You're right. And... Um, He's trying to send them away and they have this really powerful moment uh, and there's not much dialogue where he says, I got to go kill someone. How, do, how easy do you think that is going to just want to come with me? And the look of desperation on that kid's face and fear and horror and, and his intensity, it's like a great moment. So I'd say anytime they're together, I just wanted more of that. And, you know, although some of the horror elements are rather paranormal elements type of things were, were some of them were very effective and, and fun and unique. I'd even say like the eyes and the face, the eyes being in different parts of the face um, I thought was kind of fun and, and unique. Um, I, but I didn't, I was no. Okay. I got, that was like a, I was just annoyed. The minute it happened, I'm like, I got annoyed. I was like, I oh, don't. Okay. <laughs> oh, I started. I just hadn't seen it before. So I was like, okay. And then there was right. a lot of it. Okay. Yeah, I mean that many eyes, a couple. <laughs> I, I'm like, where how? Okay. Well, they didn't stop with the eyes. That's for damn sure. Um, and that we should no. say the mythology is that the Buddha in, in antiquity, um, there were two eyes of an evil monster. Um, uh, I think it was a black eye and a red eye. Is that correct? 
Yes. And he buries them and hides them because if they get back together, then the monster is back alive. Right. And so this... And, you, and no one can control it ever again. Right, if they yeah. get back together. So this muck is trying to... The eyes have been released and they're trying to find each other. Um, and they, uh, they take over bodies. And so the person who is possessed by this spirit, whichever eye they have in them, the eye will kind of like emerge from their cheek or their side of their head and i don't know i i just i agree it it is way too much but the when i first saw it i went like oh okay that's kind of gross and different but um yeah to each its own beauty's in the eye of the beholder (laughs) it sure is it sure is um you know who else is great is the is the original old monk who we meet yes who actually yes. sends the young monk out to find this uh, this you know warrior monk? And I kind of thought um, that we were going to follow this old monk that he that he was going to take the trip and that he was the warrior monk. And right. I, I kind of got disappointed when he wasn't because he was yeah. so good. But then I liked this guy too. I thought he was a fine actor. Yeah, I he just, really is. I just felt like because they were so you know stuck on this you know, mystery monk with no name with the bad past that yeah. he just, just sat around being glum a lot. And I didn't, I I'm like, this is going no play. This isn't going anywhere. And then there was something cartoonish about way the way they directed that kid who was mm. another good actor who, who plays the monk in training, the kid, you know? Yes. But it's Agreed. like, it got, it was really cartoonish. It was like, he's just, he's just kind of idiotic. And I didn't, I didn't think that was uh like the smartest way to go with him. Yeah, he has a couple of moments where he's very broad. The, him and this other character, this cop character, Park Hae-joon, Kim Ho-tai, I believe his name is, uh, the character's name, Kim Ho-tai, is a cop. And then Jong Jin is the young monk. Uh, they both are direct. You know what it reminded me of is like a good old-fashioned karate movie, like a martial arts movie where there's like the, there's always the goofy friend and he's like yeah. way over the top goofy. You know, like we first see the cop, he's like picking his nose you know, yeah. well, but that's 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 such a, a South Korean kind of thing to me. Like, yeah, I, I did you ever see a movie called um, Memories of Murder? No. So that's a that's a Bong Joon Ho movie. That, oh wow, uh, okay. I don't know. Came out a while ago. It was before his stuff started getting made over here. Big, yeah. Um, and that I feel like this is just literally references to that movie. You mm. know, the cop duo in that movie is a lot like Memories of Murder. But there's also this thing in a lot of South Korean movies where the tone is all over the place. Like yeah. parts of it are very slapstick and then it yes. gets very dramatic and then very heavy in it. And they're, uh, they're really cool for that. And I think they're trying to do that here, but it just didn't, I just was disappointed every time these cops showed up. I'm like, I, yeah. I, I didn't. Same. And, and um, another thing that it does. Okay. The individual shots. I'm, I'm by the way, I'm, qualifying a critique by saying that the individual shots some of them i thought were unbelievably artful and unbelievably beautiful and stunning and some of the images will stick with me as we talk about this movie and think about this movie like one in particular i think of is there's a girl character who kills herself you find out later and they kind of just like show her thinking about it in a very artful manner and then it like dissolves into this desert scene she's alone on this really epic desert dune and she's just got a blood streak that slowly emerges across her dress and i was like wow that is freaking beautiful and well done uh, it's a great image looked great on my screen i wished i'd seen it at the theater so you got that level of like artfulness 
That all being said, you talk about tone. This movie decides to try to be like an art movie like four or five times, but it hasn't earned it. Yeah. Right? So they just become then nice shots. But I'm yeah. not moved in any way other than like, wow, what a talented DP they had. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I, I agree. I agree. I was funny. I was just talking to uh, you know our, our friend of show, Michael, uh, our, our producer for Sender and a friend, mm-hmm. kind of about this same thing. And I won't name the movie we were talking about. Yeah. You know, because it's off topic. But, um, but we were, you know, people go on and on about how beautiful stuff is. And right now I'm like, I don't, you don't get a pass for that anymore. That's not a talking point. It's so relatively easy right now to make pretty images. It's, it's relatively easy compared to what it was like even 20 years ago. Um, and when you have a decent DP and you know, the kind of lightweight gear that, it takes to make something look pretty these days looking pretty is really not that hard look on youtube everybody's making pretty stuff that's that's easy so i don't i don't know i don't feel like always applauding movies for for being pretty Uh, sometimes gritty and ugly and gnarly is pretty like that's beautiful for the movie but this felt arbitrarily high def pretty to me this felt at its best it was it was kind of beautifully lit and at its worst, it looked like any like any commercial for a pharmaceutical that you yeah. could see. There's another one where he's going out to do the killing, and the monk, and he's in a doorway, and he just turns and looks over his shoulder. It's very iconic-ish. You know, in another movie, it would have been a very iconic scene. But here's the thing, like, I wasn't quite sure who the girl was on the dune, and nor did I care about her. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of confused. So these artful scenes then don't really do anything other than like we said just be like wow that looks amazing but i don't really know what's going on right now yeah Uh, yeah and then i get a little sad when i see a director you know having in front of him two wonderful actors who are doing all these wonderful things kind of bumming around i don't know what city they're in is it seoul maybe it's seoul or the outskirts of seoul and they're looking for a they're the two of them team up to look for a uh uh, a tarot reader or a or a psychic right because yes. they know that a psychic in that town is going to have some connection to this. It's a very complicated. I there's seven or there's there's eight monks that have to commit suicide in order for this thing to happen, and they've got to stop the last one or something, or something. <laughs> and there's a psychic, and you find a psychic not by looking in your phone, but by running all over Seoul looking for red flags on the tops of buildings. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, I believe so. A lot of time was spent on that. And um, I was a little confused as to, as to that thing. Uh, it was like it was like a thing out of a Kurosawa movie, like a medieval, you know, a medieval way to go about this. And maybe that yeah. was the point. Maybe that was part of what was lost in the translation that they had to do it that way. I, I wouldn't know. Instead of just sitting with these two great characters and dealing with what it was like for this kid to be out of the countryside for the first time and in a city. And give him something to, other than just being hungry and eating candy mm-hmm. would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. And a, yeah, exactly. More of that and more of them. And just to just simplify a little bit, the not even the story, because like we said, we could take a complex plot all day long, but simplify the machinations by which they go about their business and the way it's told to us. Because I think you hit the nail on the head. One of the first things you said about this movie was like, 
I don't think the story was that complicated. And yet I was still a little confused, even mm -hmm. in terms of like, oh, in the final act, the monster switches bodies a few times. Yeah. Right. And, 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 <laughs> you know, there's several times the monster could kill our monk and just doesn't seem to want take to the or, eye back or yeah, uh, yeah. yeah and it like, doesn't seem to want to or maybe can't or i don't know and then i don't know it looks like he does at one point and then no we're in a dream no we're not we're back but then, uh, then there, i think that it had something had to happen like at a ceremony at a certain time yeah right? so that it, they couldn't so. do it until i don't know see that's where it just got to be like yeah, i'm that, you know the axe keeps changing hands and like yeah. there's a blow of the axe that looks final and it's not final and then yeah so it's just like you know, like you said, clean all that up a little bit. And I don't hate this. I didn't hate this movie. I enjoyed the process. I actually kind of enjoyed the slow burn. Um, and I found things to like about it. I wasn't, it's not one of those slogs for me where I was like, oh, even though there were moments yeah, that we've talked about that I did wish it moved along better. Um, but it just, it just made things convoluted when I don't think it had to. I think it wanted to be a lot of things. I think it wanted to be like a gritty crime drama a thriller a paranormal devil oh. exorcist movie there's definitely nods the exorcist by the way you know super van kerrig watched it and he said we've started in the desert where have we seen that before there's something about it i did not like two things and i'm curious about what your take is on the on the second so and i was afraid this is where it was going we get to this climax at the end which is this pretty elaborate long pseudo action horror set piece thing where they go into the woods and they tape out like a the equivalent of a pentagram, I guess, in the woods that's going to protect them, I guess. I, I don't know. Spell circle or something. And um, the uh, monk with no name is is in the middle of this, and it quickly starts to become like... A st you realize that this is all about his story, his redemption. Somehow the mm. whole point of this movie seems to be about him mm. grappling with the death of his child. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yes. I mean, because it's about his, you know, he has this overwhelming sense of like grief and then he kind of yes. like, you know, not to, things happen. I don't want to totally give it away, but yeah. you're supposed to realize that he, he has an epiphany of some kind. Yeah. But we have, yes. we've been completely uh, uh, separated from any of that in that character up until that moment. So his epiphany is just empty. Like I had no... I had no feeling for what he was going through, even though the whole movie seemed to be about getting him to this point where we go, oh, it's about his, you know, his salvation as right. a, as a, as a, his soul is getting right. his, his um, faith back or something. And, but we knew so little about him because they had doubled down on this quiet, gruff monk with no name thing. I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah. And we have been sold for two hours that the world, this if this monster comes to fruition, the world ends. Mm -hmm. Like things will never be the same and the world ends, we're all dead because it's evil incarnate. And in the end it becomes like, you have to kill this thing off to finally get rid of your grief lead character. And I'm like, wait, yeah. wait a second, what so about the world ending? Yeah, we, to <laughs> we totally got asked, like switch all of this interest over to this guy yeah. totally in his agree. situation when we don't know anything, we don't have an investment in him totally that agree. way. Totally you know, agree. the other thing is that, and this is the thing I was curious about you, how your feelings about this were turning off. I my phone. love Steely Dan. That's my feeling about Steely Dan. You should. Um, it's a cool ringtone, man. Thank you. Thanks that, for that. Hey, was, a, was that Hey 19? No, that was. Uh, 
This is the moment. There you go. There you go. Learn to play saxophone. That's right. Good for you. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know you were in the uh, oh, in the Dan that. cult. Oh yeah, man. All right, go ahead. Right, Sorry, we got to talk. Um, so <laughs> my thing is, um, I, I, you know, I'm not like a religious guy, but I appreciate. I, I really did appreciate seeing kind of a, you know, like a, a, a end of days type movie from another culture with a different yes. religious base. That was yes. interesting, you know, getting to see how. You know the Buddhist mindset handles that kind of crazy action religious movie, that supernatural religious movie. But there's something about it, and there's a trope in a lot of these movies where there's a where there's a priest who's an exorcist priest or a some badass monk, or here we have a you know an ex Buddhist monk who was kicked out of being the monkhood but still has this job to protect the universe, and it's like. It's cool if they kill a lot of people to get this done. There's something about these movies that somewhere just play on a very negative thing, I think, about what audiences like sometimes, which is like, ooh, I want to be able to, to kill things, but like to have God tell me it's okay to do that. Do you feel that way at all? I didn't think it was stuff. I, no, I, it, it didn't occur to me like that. I love a good kick-ass priest, so I don't know... Um... Or, or yeah, monk but kick or ass, whatever. but like you know, that's different than like you know, murdering, murdering kind of indiscriminately for the cause. Just yeah, I mean, yeah, I ne- I, I'll just be honest, I've never thought of it like that. Never thought of it. You no, know, you raise a great point, and um, you know, what I will say is I, something I loved was the explanation towards the end about the red eye and black eye. And there's some dialogue, I think you know what I'm talking about, where they they kind of lay it out and they for the 50th time about the red eye and the black eye reuniting but on this pass towards the end the elder monk or the ghost of the elder monk the obi-wan kenobi elder monk tells our lead monk something to the effect of the black eye is regret and people who are regretful are angry you know if you regret the past you walk around in anger and the and the red eye is despair and people who are broken have despair. And he said, so most of us carry one of those. And he said, if you have both in you, if you have anger and despair, if this world gets anger and despair merged, and then the demon says, it's hell on earth. And I'm like, wow, that was really well written. I thought, I loved that part of it. Um, well, isn't that, that quite probably is an actual sutra, right? I mean, that might actually be, because I'm assuming, I maybe stupidly, that this is, kind of a fantasy but based on some real texts or some actual buddhist lore I, I would i would think i should should look that up but perhaps i'm sure but in least... a similar way that like a that like a witch finder general is based right. on something <laughs> on the church there but exactly. not really exact and it sounds like a buddhist idea and it yes, sounds it like something that that would be in that philosophy that you know all this warfare is really an internal thing they're talking about it's the war yes. within you right. killing the demons inside yourself and all that right. that's all really cool and i yeah. like this movie for t- attempting to to do that but i but it and this is just a thing about all these kinds of movies and i and i think what it is is this they end up being action movies and they use this idea in a way that that is is just kind of like sidestepping 
the concept of being a pacifist or, you know, that killing things is bad. Mm. And, or even regretful. Like, sad. And even a samurai movie will give you that moment where, you know, killing something, even if it's your enemy, isn't isn't just a time for celebration or to feel cool or to strut out of a room feeling like you're a kick-ass dude. Like, mm. it's actually a moment of contemplation, at, at the very least. Yeah. And this movie didn't didn't give us that, even though these characters are actual, actually supposed to be Buddhist, Buddhist monks. You know, I just... Well, I found it ironic. I, I hear you. I would say that the Park Jin So character, the lead badass monk, does emote um, some level of regret and horror at having to do this. You know, like that scene I mentioned earlier, he tells the young guy, he says, You don't want to come with me. I have to go kill someone. Do you know what that does to a man? Like, no, you don't want to come with me. Run away from me. And he does seem at that time appropriately broken by the process um so i think there is at least an attempt to show that it's not a celebration of of killing um for a monk but just you know what i'm gonna answer your question more directly i have no problem with a priest or a monk killing uh to try to defeat the devil kill them all that's what i say okay cool well this has been a fascinating uh little we'll, we'll never do this again little philo- philosophical sidebar we're not gonna we're not gonna have like a philosophy corner on the show which is fine we didn't need that we don't need that i'm gonna write a theological apologetics book called kill them all come on do it it's (laughs) totally totally great um you thought you knew me thought i did no i sadly did and i i (laughs) i was just trying to one last chance (laughs) but no okay Anything else uh, did you have that I've inadvertently told you my favorite line, uh, that piece of dialogue about the meaning of the eyes I loved. But by the time we got there, it was a little watered down because there were seven other there was there was a, a thing about the meeting group that tried to commit suicide. And there's all these elements added over and over yeah. again. It got I, my, I, it, it, you know, I, I really uh, when we had a, a like literally a five minute animated prologue about setting up the mythology and then we had a five minute you know intro to characters who aren't in the real story in the rest of the movie to mm-hmm. set up yet further parts of it because mm-hmm. there's that scientist who yes. we never really meet but we see in flashbacks who has one of the eyes and then goes to the desert to release it and all this other stuff yes that's actually all still prologue and intro so the movie doesn't really kick into gear until even later after then we meet the, the the first monk and we're not even with him for more than 10 minutes and then we're off to the real story which is this other monk. So it really has yeah. a hard time getting off the ground and getting started. Yes. And if you think like all that's necessary I I just think that you're missing out on being able to tell this story through the characters actions. And then then it would have made more sense that it becomes kind of a, you know, a thematic thing about this guy's rehabilitation somehow at the end of the movie. Yes. It would have been a surprise. It just felt very mapped out. But my that's one of the things that makes me stop and go, I wonder if that stuff is well-researched in terms of that legend, that maybe that legend is real. So for and maybe that for a South Korean audience that legend maybe they know that legend and so it would actually be scarier because they're tying that to a real thing that could happen today so that's maybe that's something that can't translate to this to to the west very easily who knows i don't know if i was south korean and knew the real legend of this i'd be like 
why are you explaining it to me 17 more times? Because I don't know the legend. And I was already saying oh. that. I'm like, I get it. I know the legend. Don't stop I had, I've it. had to sit through a lot of Charlton Heston movies. So <laughs> I know what that's all about. Um, it occurs to me, too. It's funny. One of my best friends in the world is named, uh, he's Korean. And he came to America and he's a little kid. And his name is Tai Hyun Kim. And this director's name is Kim Tai Young. It's kind of interesting. Or maybe it's not. Um. Well, are you saying it could be the same person? It's definitely not my buddy. Definitely not okay. my buddy. I just texted him the other day. He would have told me if he made a... Uh... Maybe he wouldn't tell you if he made this one. <laughs> Here's another interesting fact. His name? Ty Kim. Guess what his brother's name is? I can't. Ty Kim. Okay. I, I don't... I, I think that's a tradition in, in South Korea. Okay. A lot of the kids are named the same. Uh, it's and pointless facts that nobody's interested in by Maddie. It's a new segment we have. I'm gonna do I, you know, look, I had my philosophy thing didn't go. You have the name thing, like the semantics thing. It's not, it's not for the show. We could cut all that out. <laughs> no one's gonna know. Um, all right, Tony. Anything else about the eighth night, or should we move on to our uh, top well, three? You know, uh, a couple tiny little last things. Um, yeah. I think. What's do you did you ever see a movie uh, a Guy Pierce movie called The Seventh Day? No, because this is a remake of that movie. I'm pretty sure. Huh. It's also not very good. I don't <laughs> recommend you see it, but it's there. And this is um, this is like uh, you know, it takes place in L.A. or something. It's the Western version of this story, basically. Oh, maybe I did see The Seventh Day. I'm looking at it now. It rang a vague bell. And, no, uh, I know he's the he's the priest. I, yeah, I did not see this, but I'm aware of this. Yeah. Yeah, he's a smelly old priest. Yes, it who's just like came greasy out. hair, and it, it did not too long ago. But I feel yeah. like this is it's the same thing. Very similar. Um, I find it very strange that if you go to IMDb, uh, go anywhere, you're not going to find the cinematographer or the composer for this movie. There, there is none listed, so I don't know how that works. Mm. I do know that. If you don't have a composer and if you have the music you had in it, it's all canned and really poorly canned music. The score really bothered me on this one. Yeah. And I, it, it was like, it was, it was, it was rough. Yes. That was pharma commercial rough. It really yeah. was. It was definitely like, I know what you mean. It was like uh, pre-bought, pre-produced music that you just yeah, download just, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and some of that is fine music, but you know, sure. it's not, you, it's not tailored for a film. You really want some music that's hand thought yeah. through for the movie. And this wasn't, um, and just to, um, give, uh, a shout out to some, I think better South Korean genre type movies in case anybody in the audience is looking for they you know, titles that might be more exciting than this. Mm. Um, Bong Joon-ho movies are really cool. Try to see memories of murder or mother, Ugh. Um or host, uh. host. Parasite was also a parasite, big hit, but you probably have already seen that. Parasite, um, like you, I, the, a lot of people flipped out. It's not my favorite Bong Joon Ho uh, movie, but I I think that Mother and Memories of Murder are yeah. far better. But anyway, that's his stuff is awesome. There's a great movie you can find streaming now called The Wailing, W A I L I N G. Um fantastic and it's similar to this there's like you know uh, an investigation into some supernatural murders and stuff and it's got buddhist lore in it really good um i saw the devil is mm. terrifying yeah really really scary serial killer i movie. saw yeah i saw that one 
Uh, Train to Busan is fun. Burning is really, really good. Of course, Lady Vengeance. And Svaha, the sixth finger. I don't know why I felt like doing this, just because I feel like um, uh, some of these movies are underseen, and there's so much great uh, Korean cinema out there. These are some ones I just think that you should give some love to. Yeah, I saw The Devil is uh, really a great movie. That's that a that's movie, a rough watch. That that's movie really, stay with me a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's a brutal film. Um, well, that's a great list, Tony. Yeah, definitely. And we will uh, we'll we'll revisit another South Korean film, paranormally themed, a little later to kind of uh, maybe maybe um, make good on on the South Korean film genre. Yeah, we should we should do the whaling. Okay, so unfortunately for the eighth night, it's not going to get a ninth night. At least not on our shelf. It gets a P for pass. Not a P for paranormal from both of us, but we move on. Let's take a little break here and then come back with our top three list inspired by a character in the eighth night that I actually want to give some love to because I thought it was uh, pretty spooky. You know, Maddie and I are very social. Yeah, I don't like where this is going. I mean, social media is a, it's a promo. Oh, right. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rated Paranormal. We're also on Facebook. Please comment, like, engage. Let us know what you think. For even more information, go to our webpage, anchor.fm slash rated paranormal. But I really don't like eye contact. Uh, you, yes, we know. All right, Tony. Um, in the eighth night, there is a character of a schoolgirl, and she is played by, I believe it's Park Si Hyun. Park Si Hyun plays a schoolgirl who's possessed by this entity. And there's a couple scenes where she gives a, a, you know, we've seen it before. The bones kind of break and the head turns unnaturally. But then she flashes this smile. And when she first did it, I must admit, it was the only thing in the movie that made me go like, oh, it's a, it's a yeah. jump. It's yeah, really yeah, it's really good. And then the uh, other characters who are possessed by this entity also smile similarly. And it is creepy. It's effective. And I, I, I you know, you and I got thinking like, boy, an evil person smiling can be really effective. And thus our top three list is born. The The top top three creepy creepy smiles in in film history. history. Tony, would you like to start or would you like me to start and have you broken your list up into some crazy 10 part list? I've got some tentacles, let's say. (laughs) Um, I'd like you to start, but I think we should just say that this is, uh, what should we say? This is the, uh, the Joker honorary award because I I think that you know that's an obvious one you may have it on there but let's say it's the you know it's the uh, the Joaquin Phoenix honorary smile creepy smile award I take that or maybe the uh, Heath Ledger honorary okay. smile okay or, or Jack or Jack yeah sure of the three I think uh, I I don't know I I don't want to see that smile of Joaquin's ever again I would agree with which that. is my criteria this is why this is how I built my list so anyway please Maddie. Start us off. Okay, I have a feeling that my number three might be your number one. And I hope it's not, because I don't want to have us move anything off the list. But uh, my number three is, um, could be a lot of people's number one, and maybe should be. Uh, And it's Anthony Perkins in Psycho. The kind of final smile he gives in that jail cell. Amazing Uh, call. Not on my list. Oh, okay, great, great. Uh, I'm not even going to swat that fly. I mean, that is just... Terrifying. (laughs) Terrifying. It really is, yeah. And maybe, you know, I don't know, you would be much better at this than me. Maybe one of the early, if not first, kind of 
giving a killer like that a chance to smile. Like I would think back in the day, everything was very fiendish and you know, the, the killers had a black mustache and, and to let him have that moment. It was just it's fantastic. It really is. It was, a, it's an honorary mention for sure for me. Great. Uh, okay. My number three will, will be uh Vincent D'Onofrio and full metal jacket. Oh my God. That's such a good one. His, um, his smile, you know what? He goes crazy at the end at the end of his part of the movie uh chilled me so much yes. when i saw it as a teenager you know in the, yes. th- in the theater it really got under my skin and they captured this moment of total insanity yes of complete breaking with reality that i think is just terrifying so that's he's, my number three that is such a good i remember he's like he's like sitting in the bathroom mm-hmm. and, and holding has, the gun and holding the gun he's looking up yep at Matthew, um, yeah, he's Modine, like drooling and yes, he's yeah. like got that smile. Oh my god, he almost looks it almost looks like a prosthetic face, like it that's looks, how, yes, yeah, it's freaking great choice. terrifying. Great choice, great choice, great choice. My number two is a film that we reviewed, and I would love it if you're new to the show, you can go back and listen to this episode. It's our <laughs> review of Exorcist 3 with an appearance by Tony's wife, Amelia Campbell Arkin. Uh, I'm going to give it to Brad Dorif in his jailhouse monologue. And there's a moment in there when he smiles when talking about how he did what he did. And it just, I like, <laughs> it was like, man. Yep. I... Another honorary mention for me. He's oh, just good. terrifying. The crying, you know, Brad Dorif has uh, apparently a condition where he cries uh, when, when he's one of his eyes tears and he can't help it. Wow. And he's used it as a great effect in a lot sure. of movies. Sure. Because he has these riveting close ups where he just doesn't close his eyes and just, I think it's his left eye just starts tearing and he just acts through it. It's amazing. Yeah. That, when I saw that scene, I was like, wow, this is, this is as good as it gets. My number two is the uh, terrifying Robert Blake in Lost Highway. Wow. Um, he smiles in this movie. He pl- Have you seen Lost Highway? No. Oh, God. I was reacting to Robert Blake. Oh, well. Just in it's general. A, it's a double whammy because it's Robert Blake in a David Lynch movie. Oh, my in the, God. Like the scariest David Lynch moment. Okay. Um, okay, he, he plays a He plays a character who I guess is called the man. Again, like the man with no name. He's essentially, oh, God, yes. I've seen this image. Mm-hmm. Oh God! What is he? It is not. Like, oh, oh, it's terrifying. Holy shit! Yeah. he's like in makeup and like he's oh. got white pancake makeup on. Yes. They shaved his eyebrows off, Holy and he's got these bulging eyes, and he smiles, and it's oh man, is it scary? It's just terrifying. That is such a good one. Imagine that thing saying to you like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I have to go back to the restaurant. I forgot my gun." Well, yeah, that's a true story. I know. But the other the other thing is that in that movie he plays essentially he plays you know an, a bad thing. I don't even know what he what it is that he is, but he's a bad thing. And he comes to you and says you know hello. He meets you at a party and he goes hello, Maddie. And you're like oh uh, hi. And he goes um he goes uh, I'm at your house right now. And you're like no you're not and he goes and he hands you a phone and you call your number and he answers the phone oh god and you're not in a good place 
So he's like a demon or something? Yeah, it's a bad. Witch. It's really scary. Why don't we do Lost Highway soon? We could. That is would be kind of, appropriate. Okay, yeah, yeah. Holy God, is he frightening. Yeah. Hey, you know what you just did, too? You inadvertently did a great callback to a theme of today's show. You asked me my opinion on badass priests who are willing to hurt people or kill people for good. And I give you Robert Blake in Helltown. Remember Helltown in the 80s? I do remember Helltown. <laughs> I do. Hey, he wasn't he was a priest who wasn't scared to knock around some punk kids. You gotta set him straight. Damn right you do. Spare the backhand, spoil the kid. Some, yeah, something like that. Oh spoil the milk. Kind of fell apart. Finally, my number one tied in again to something we started the show with. It's almost like we planned it. The character Georgina, the maid, played by Betty Gabriel in the movie Get Out. Mm. And really scary. Her, yeah, that's good. her smile. And then there's a scene where she she kind of smiles a bunch of times, but the one in particular and probably the most notable is she goes into the bedroom of the lead and he says to her an offhanded comment like trying to bond with her. He says, I get a little uncomfortable with all these white people around. And she just blanches and then smiles and then a tear comes down her cheek and she goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it's just like the freaking creepiest thing because you don't know what's going on with this uh, you person. You have no idea. And it's man. Freaky and unnerving. Yeah, She is so good in that. Betty Gabriel, I just want to give her props too. So uh, that's my number one. Get out the creepiest smile that I could get out of my head. Great call. There's too many white people. I get nervous, you know. My number one, um, I, I'm, I'm tempted to give you my runners up first um, to give you an idea of how messed up my number one is. So honor, honorable mention to Conrad Veidt in The Man Who Laughed, which is the original Creepy Smile, 1920 silent movie from Germany. Wow. Uh, about a guy who has a smile permanently carved into his face. And that's some scary horror hot mess right there well, that's a good piece of history too because i was going to ask you about the history of creepy smiles after we're yeah, done that's kind of where oh, it started gotta be the first one certainly um lon 20s. cheney had a had a had a very famous one from i think Rudy's, murders in the room morgue where he has a really horrifying grin okay um and another shout out to uh julian beck in poltergeist 2 smiling at the screen door for little heather's one horrible more scary things but Horrible. The Titanic, number one for me, above all other smiles or grimace smiles in film history. One of the most shocking endings to any film I've ever seen. The smile comes from a actress named Felissa Rose who plays Angela Baker in Sleepaway Camp. Oh, I saw Sleepaway Camp with my best friends growing up. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you, well, you saw it, so you yeah, know. I'm, I'm still, it's why I still go to therapy. It is one of the more messed up endings to any film yeah. ever it's a very talked about movie for yeah. its ending yep um and uh i'm not gonna say it's not uh, offensive to some people <laughs> yeah, or yeah, i don't I know i'm not especially even these see. days <laughs> but boy oh boy uh is that a chilling and horrifying thing to see 
she has it. You can look up her like end of face, the, just the face at the end of Sleepaway Camp, and it will give you nightmares. Let's just say uh, the crying game can eat its heart out because this Sleepaway Camp did it <laughs> yes. better. <laughs> yeah, something came first. Something <laughs> came first. Choice. I'm overwhelmed by your picks because I've learned a lot here in the last minute and a half. So I'm sure this is something that everybody talks about and that's very famous, but this movie was made in 1921, you said? The Man Who Laughs? 28? Something like that? It's so the 20s. I don't know. When I mean, our... am I being completely, obviously, you know, on the nose here? But like, clearly, I'm looking at images of The Man Who Laughs in 1928. Like, clearly, the Joker was... Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Everyone, oh yeah, it was. It was a very. Like a it was actually a pretty famous character, and that movie was very well known. Conrad Veidt was a famous actor. You know that character was seen by a lot of people, and um. But I mean, you know, like, it's, I mean, it's the Joker. It's literally like the. Oh makeup. yeah, it is. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It right. really is, and 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 then wow. when you do the when you do the math on the timeline, you know all the artists and the kids who ended up writing those comics. And those comic characters saw this movie. No, great, no doubt about it. Okay, that's that's a great lineage. I never knew. I yeah, never and knew. also that uh, that Lon Chaney Senior. Uh, check that out too. That face is similar too. And that I've seen. Yes, that I've definitely seen. Um, and he came up last week, Lon, Lon Chaney Senior. and Junior, in uh, Evan Costello. We we talked about him. That's right. Um, my honorable mentions. I I put this in the honorable mention because it's probably my number one in terms of just pure chill. But I wanted to keep it light, and this is kind of like heavy and dark um it's a movie that i got from our beloved film spotting the the act of killing um oh my god dude. yeah it's a oh. documentary about these i even loathe to bring it up but it's like indonesian oh death squad leaders who describe how they killed and one of the leaders is describing how he like bled people out and he has his buddy and i'm only laughing because it's just so incredibly horrible um he has his buddy reenact how he would like bleed someone out. And right when he's holding like the wire, he looks back at the filmmakers and smiles like, see, see, like it's a camera op. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it. yeah, it's that just... movie. Oh God. That film is, uh, that's just a grenade in your face. That movie. It really is, uh, an incredible film. Uh, you know, just, you know, in case people do go see the, some of the stuff we're talking about, tread carefully with that, that one particularly, but one particularly. it's really worth it. If you can take a movie like that, because it does, uh, say some incredible things. Um, and, uh, uh, isn't as doesn't leave you as hopeless as you think you might feel, but mm. it's a rough watch. It's rough. It's rough. So that that smile just chilled me. Oh, uh, good call, man. Oh my god. Uh, and then a couple more. Uh, the last shot of Midsummer movie we've talked about before. Um, okay. When she's all done up and she just smiles, but she, her it's such a scary smile because it, it can mean. It, I'll just say this. I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it could mean a lot of things. And she does it perfectly as an actor because the look the smile she gives could mean a lot of things um so it's it's really i think well done on her part and then you could do we're a not whole... gonna fight yet we're not gonna fight on the show tonight it's too late in the game you don't you don't like that movie not a fan not a fan okay well could you like could you admire her smile at the end and yeah I, I, yes but it did okay. but it i like the actor and i liked the face she made and i liked her i just yeah. i it, it didn't resonate for me it okay. did I, it left me just like just cold i had no okay yeah. 
Um, and then you could do a whole thing of smiling like creatures. Um, oh, there's that. Yeah. A lot of yeah, demon like, smiles. Yeah. You know, Pennywise comes to mind, of course. Uh, a friend of mine, Nick, said the doll from Magic still haunts him. Like oh, the ventriloquist that's doll. terrifying. That's a scary <laughs> one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, that's and, really scary. You know, you could lump in the poltergeist clown when he looks back yeah. and the clown smiling. So, yeah. Um, those are some of my honorable mentions. And so is the, you know, the little, uh, the the doll that tries to kill Karen Black has got a great smile. It smiles, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, terror trilogy. trilogy. Terror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, does anything in the thing smile? Speaking of the thing, we started with the thing. I'm trying to think of one of those guys. Nothing, smiles. no person or thing smiles in that movie <laughs> at any time. There is no smiling. <laughs> Including in between takes. No, nobody smiled once. It's on record. It's a tr it's a literally in the Guinness Book of World Records. Is that well, a thing anymore? The Guinness Book of World Records? Yes, in fact, because I do a morning radio show now, um we just a guy just broke the here's here, this is going to blow you away. A guy broke the Guinness Book of World Records the other day for stacking M&Ms. Just taking an M&M, putting another M&M on top of that one and another mm -hmm. one and another. One. These are plain chocolate, the traditional M&Ms, not peanut, just the Mm -hmm. Guess how many was the world record? Three. Six. <laughs> Didn't you think it would be like 70? No. No. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't imagine. No, that's why I said three. I'm like. <laughs> but is the world record six? Like, so come great. on. <laughs> oh, my God. He went the longest without eating the M&Ms for yeah. the tournament. Oh, um, yes. Uh, there's a so it's still a thing. Yeah, it's still a thing. I just remember the books when we were kids were like, yeah, they were thousand pages long. Yeah, you had the the two fat guys on the motorcycle, the twins, the fattest yes. twins ever. Yes, <laughs> remember them? Yeah. And then the smoking. I remember the picture of the guys smoking like 150 yes. cigarettes. That's incredible. That's so cool. <laughs> that was a that. show again. Oh, yep. Um, I want to talk about next week's movie, everybody, because I'm Tony and I are both really uniquely excited about this one because. Um, you know, perhaps it sums up best the origins of this podcast, Rated P for Paranormal, because this podcast started because Tony and I both love, obviously, films, but it really, we kind of bonded as friends over our mutual love of talking about, like, what the government knows, what they don't know, government experiments, UFOs, aliens, disclosure, all that stuff, ghosts. We just love talking about that. And so there's a new documentary that Nick Pope um, talked about on Twitter that caught our eye. And his tweet reads, for those who have not yet seen it, the film Aliens at the Pentagon, which, by the way, had me at hello. Aliens at the Pentagon lifts the lid on some of the seismic UFO-related developments and revelations in recent years. It's cheap to buy or rent on Amazon and numerous other video viewing platforms. So everybody... If you are interested in this topic, this is going to be, I think, an incredible watch. So Aliens at the Pentagon. Can't wait. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, buddy. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, to participate, and even donate, go to our main page, anchor.fm slash Rated Paranormal. On social media, we're at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at KidRiga or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin.
learn to play saxophone. That's right. Hello, Maddie. 